Thank you, Pastor. Singing God's praises. One of the blessings of the Reformation is that the singing of God's praises, of hymns and songs and spiritual songs, was returned to the congregation. People like you and me, the non-professionals, with no offense toward those who are professional and able to sing so beautifully well. But for us to be able to sing and not merely witness others singing, to give voice to the praise within us as we seek to worship our God, one of the blessings of the Reformation. And so in preparing for today and in thinking about what to preach on and thinking that I would select a text specially devoted to the occasion, the more that I read the end of Luke chapter 10, the more I became convinced that this is a perfect text for the occasion. And I hope before I'm finished, you'll agree with me. And if not, you'll still agree that this is God's word, and it's good that we've been in it together. So, let's dive in. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. May the Lord bless his reading of his word as we give him praise for it. Amen. And so when Jerome translated the scriptures into Latin, which we refer to as the Vulgate, back around the 4th century A.D., after the time of our Lord on earth, one of the words rendered in that translation from the Greek metanoia should have been the word repentance. But based on a misunderstanding, perhaps, whatever the cause, nevertheless, instead of repentance, it became due penance. And from that point on in the church, there grew up an erroneous thought process which went along these lines that in order to be rid of sin, we must do things. Whatever the sin might be, as this way of thinking became more complex and more grounded and rooted in that mistranslation, the more people got the idea that, yes, if I do something wrong, I have to do something in order to counterbalance whatever that wrong thing is. So that when you get to the time of Martin Luther in the 1500s, the church had refined this to the point that, you know, if doing work will achieve a degree of merit to prevail against the sin of which we're guilty, then naturally our money, our monetary resources, which are representative of the works that we perform, could also be given in substitution of that actual work. And so a system of indulgences arose wherein you literally could pay a fixed amount for a particular sin and thus escape the perils of purgatory, which is another whole matter. 
It was this idea more than anything else which prompted Luther to write his 95 Theses. Not yet to the place where he had come to recognize fully the preeminence of the doctrine of justification by faith, but yet convicted and convinced in his own heart that the system of indulgence was based on wrong thinking and wrong doctrine and a wrong translation that he authored that piece of paper that he affixed to the church door that has shaken the world ever since. The Reformation. Busy with many things, but lacking the one thing necessary. And so we mark the occasion today on this one day, or as we will on Tuesday perhaps, of the Reformation. Luther later declared, I would never have thought that such a storm would rise from Rome over one simple scrap of paper. The world was shaken and continues to shake. He said also, from the beginning of my Reformation, I have asked God to send me neither dreams nor visions nor angels, but to give me the right understanding of his word, the Holy Scriptures, for as long as I have God's word, I know that I am walking in his way and that I shall not fall into any error or delusion. And so the Reformation is as much that as anything. It is a getting back to the necessary things, the essential things. Much tradition had grown up over the centuries, but that tradition had come to obscure the brilliant, glowing truth that is the gospel and that is the word of God. Francis Schaeffer said this decades ago. The church in our generation needs reformation. Surely that's true today. He also said it needs revival and constructive revolution. At times, men think of the words reformation and revival as standing in contrast one to the other. But this is a mistake. Both words are related to the word restore. Reformation refers to restoration to pure doctrine. Revival refers to a restoration in the Christian's life. Reformation speaks of a return to the teachings of the scripture. Revival speaks of a life brought into its proper relationship with the Holy Spirit. The great moments of church history have come when these two restorations have simultaneously come into action so that the church has returned to pure doctrine and the lives of the Christians in the church have known the power of the Holy Spirit. There cannot be true revival unless there has been reformation. And reformation is not complete without revival. So what is it that we're talking about when we speak of things that are essential and particularly the one thing that is essential? We see the Lord Jesus and of course at this time he is making his way ever so deliberately toward Jerusalem where he will pay that ultimate sacrifice being an atonement for our sins. But as they are traveling, they enter the village, a certain village, not named here, where they encounter a woman named Martha who welcomed him into her house. Now again, we know more about these ladies from other scriptures, but when we encounter them here, it's the first time that we meet them. And it is noteworthy that Martha welcomes the Lord into 
her house. And of course, her sister Mary is there. But here, we begin to get a sense of a different approach. Martha welcomed him, and Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, Kathy told me to be careful today because we're having a meal after church. And she told me not to be hard on the Marthas who are preparing the meal. And that is certainly not my intention. I hope we will see from this passage that it's not so much a matter of being a Mary and a Martha world, but it's a matter of coming to the Lord as we are with our different gifts and abilities, however he has designed us, that we all together may recognize that there is no higher place than to be seated at our Savior's feet, listening to his word. Our world has its own notions and ideas about what higher positions are. We're all about those places. We have people who are spending unfathomable amounts of money to be able to attain positions of leadership and of recognition of power and influence. And yet we are told in the scriptures that the best place to experience that highest position is when we are seated lowly at the feet of our Savior. There are many things in Christianity that would turn the world upside down. And this is one of them. In quoting the King James Version of Deuteronomy 33.3, the scriptures say, Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive of thy words. Whether you take the interpretation as rendered here to sit at his feet or to walk in the path as it's otherwise rendered, the point is this, that we experience the Lord when we submit ourselves to him, when in lowliness and in humility we recognize him to be the authority. There was a funeral service for a good friend of ours yesterday, Don Harkey, a ruling elder that I served with for a number of years. He was a retired captain with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department and a retired command sergeant major in the United States Army Reserves. Don Harkey knew what it meant to wield authority. On any given Sunday, he was the officer in charge of traffic that would flow into and out of downtown Charlotte for Panthers games. Now, I don't know what value there would be in watching those play at this particular time, but nevertheless, Don was the captain for the downtown precinct, and he understood what was necessary in order to get officers to do what they needed to do to get traffic in and to get traffic out. But he was a servant leader. He wasn't just a man who knew how to exercise authority. He was a good example in what it means to submit to authority. And I can't tell you how many times I would get a phone call from him or he would come into my office and he would say something like, Pastor, I don't like surprises and I don't think you do either. And he would tell me something that I needed to have a heads up about and I always appreciated that. He said one Sunday when I was getting ready to go out and preach, he said, if you ever doubt the power of God's grace to save a sinner, all you need to do is look out there and see me and my buddy, Mike Kroll. And Mike, if you're watching this, I thought I'd give you a shout out. <laughs> Examples of God's grace. But the favorite thing that I remember recalling and that I was able to recall by way of video, which they played at the service yesterday, was after Don had retired from the police department, he was working for the Boy Scouts of America as a recruiter. 
He had traveled 20 miles from home to go to work that morning when he remembered a man in our community who had been diagnosed with cancer. Now, this you need to know. Don himself had been diagnosed with cancer and was about to have surgery for it. And thinking about that man that he did not know, but he knew where he lived, he turned his car around and drove 20 miles all the way back to the town of Locust, walked up to the man's door and knocked on the door, and that great big hulk of a man standing there opened the door, and Don Harkey said, Hello, I'm Don Harkey, and I've been diagnosed with cancer. And I'm having surgery tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. But because I've got Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I know that if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And I've heard that you've been diagnosed with cancer, and you don't know if you're going to live or die. And I want you to know that you can know that you're going to go to heaven when your time comes. What boldness. Before that day was out, that man made a profession of faith. And he showed forth fruit in the coming weeks and months so that when I did stand before the congregation and preach his funeral, we were able to celebrate the homegoing of a saint. All because, as the Lord works in his sovereignty, he used a man who not only knew how to wield authority, but he knew how to submit to it. If there is anything that we need to gain from this notion of reformation, it is submission to the Lordship of Christ. To know that we have been bought with a price and we are His. Neither our lives nor our time are our own. And so we render them gladly to Him. And we recognize that there is no higher place than to be in that lowly position of learning from our Lord. Of taking advantage of the word that we have in our own language. A word rendered into a Language that we can understand. Do you know what a blessing that is? Do you realize that people at the time of the Reformation and afterwards and even before had literally gone to their deaths because they advocated the blessing of having the Scriptures translated into the languages of the people? And now we have Bibles sitting on our shelves and collecting dust, otherwise neglected, having forgotten the great cost that has been paid so that we might have them as we do. We need to be a people who are in submission to the Lord and who are learning from Him. Yet, we see Martha. Martha, who had invited the Lord in, but who nevertheless was distracted with much serving. Now, let's understand this. Serving is necessary. The Bible commends work. Remember, work was commended before the fall. That's a revolutionary thought in and of itself. And we're going to hear more about that, Lord willing, uh, this uh, coming uh, spring when we consider what's known as the cultural mandate or the dominion covenant. When God said to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. You know what? That involves work. And that's before our parents ate the forbidden fruit. In fact, we're told that if any will not work, neither let him eat. That's not something which comes out of modern-day literature. That's what Paul wrote back 2,000 years ago. Work is commended. It is a good thing. However, when anything becomes a distraction, be it work or be it activities of leisure, recreation, whatever it may be, then that becomes a problem. It was through her much serving in getting things together. So she comes, you know. Lord, do you not care 
that my sister has left me to serve alone? You know, she's, she's suffering from that innate problem of asthma, right? I, at the center of things. She has left me to do the serving. A clear indication that her heart is perhaps not where it should be. Again, it's not the serving, it's the distraction that it has, that it has become. Do you not care? Tell her to help me. You know, it should be a yellow flag, if not a red flag, in all of our minds when we begin to make demands of the Lord, when we begin to tell Him what He ought to do. That can happen in prayer if we're not careful, when we lose that spirit of reverence and submission to His authority, when we lose sight of how we should pray at all times. Thy will be done. That we can fall into this idea and notion of making demands of Him. That should have been a warning sign to her. And yet the Lord deals with her firmly yet tenderly. Martha, Martha. He speaks her name in repetition both to get her attention but also to show his own love and affection for her. It's, a, it's an endearing way to speak even as he is correcting her. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Are you anxious and troubled about many things? You've been watching the news. You probably are. It's natural that we be that way in our sin nature when we lack that trust in the Lord that we ought to have. We become anxious. We become troubled over the span of many things. That was Martha's trouble. Now, it's interesting. There's at least one commentator, I think more than one, in rendering or interpreting what it means when he says, but one thing is necessary. One particular commentator says, that means you should have just focused on one dish. You can't make this stuff up. That, that's, that's what he said. You know, she should have just focused on one, one serving of something. You know, just the fried chicken without the mashed potatoes or whatever it might have been. Or just the barbecue without the coleslaw and the potato salad um, for our own context. What time is it? <laughs> Clearly there is more meant than that. Many demands conspire to distract us from the thing that matters most. That's what had happened at the time of the Reformation. Church tradition with many layers of, of requirements, of things that people were to do in order to keep themselves in a right relationship with God had become distractions rather than a means of growing closer to the Lord. And so the Reformation in many ways was a throwing off of those distractions so that we could get back to the thing that matters. And that reminded me, as I was thinking of that, of a man named Nicholas Herman. You probably don't know him by that name. He's better known as Brother Lawrence because when he was received into his order, he was given the name Lawrence of the Resurrection. And he left behind a wonderful little devotional book he was a man who had known war. He had experienced the horrible violence of war. And in fact, it had left him maimed for a lifetime. And yet, coming out of that experience and entering into an order of, of devotion to the Lord, he left that behind and never spoke of it again. But he did give us a wonderful example. He declared that he wanted to do, quote, everything for the love of God and with prayer. Here was a man who, because of his physical 
infirmity could not do what other monks did in the order and so they put him in the kitchen where he was having to wash and clean up after all the others and it was a loud place to work not only voices but the clanging of pots and pans and yet there he learned to develop a life of devotion to the Lord not not an activity relegated to a certain number of minutes in the day but something that he sought to carry out at all times He said, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer and in the noise and clatter of my kitchen. While several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in his great tranquility as if I were upon my knees. There's a man who learned not to be distracted by the clanging of pots and the shouting of voices. He kept the main thing the main thing. And so, too, must we in the course of life, which is filled with distractions. Everything in the world in our culture beckons for our attention. If it's not something on television, it's an activity or an event, it's family, it's the dog, it's anything. None of which are bad or evil in and of themselves, but to the degree in which they distract us to keep us from focusing on the Lord, then that becomes a problem. And would that we too could cultivate a devotional life with God so that even when the noise is deafening, we have God in our lives and he is foremost in our thought and being. And the Reformation reminds us of the importance of keeping what is most important at the center of our lives. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away. Devotion to the Lord Jesus is the one thing necessary, the best portion of all. If there's anything that the Reformation recaptured, it was to put God's word, the scriptures, at the center of our worship and of our spiritual lives. Not wrapped in all the layers of tradition and traditionalism, but God's word itself, where it's read from, where we spend time in it just as surely as we spend time in prayer so that it becomes a part of our lives. But why? Because that's the way in which we are sitting at our Savior's feet, spending time in the Word of God from the first of Genesis to the end of Revelation is that means by which we are listening to the Lord when we are submitting to His will and good purpose. That's where he speaks to us. And for the believer, that's where we live. Now, Martha gets it. Later on, John chapter 11, when her brother Lazarus dies, she and her sister Mary call for the Lord to come, even while he's still sick. But you remember the story, Jesus doesn't get there, quote unquote, in time. Now, the Lord's always on time, but not always on our time schedule. He doesn't get there as soon as they thought he ought to. He was late, according to their estimation. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, don't stop there. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's Martha. Whatever else she learned that day when the Lord Jesus corrected her, she took to heart. And in her sadness, in saying, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died, she yet acknowledged this 
wonderful declaration of faith that we now read and we marvel at. She had no doubt that whatever he asked of his father, the father would give him. And she went on to say, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, this morning, I don't have any criticism of Martha. Martha, like all the rest of us, learned a lesson. Like we continually learn, I trust with each passing day as believers. Unless you've attained the level of perfection, and if you think you have, you need to speak with me after the service. We all must be learning and growing in our faith. Martha had heard the Lord, and so she made one of the most pristine, glorious declarations of the personhood of Christ that you'll find in all of Scripture or all of the history of humanity. Devotion to the Lord is the one thing necessary. The Apostle Paul said, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, that is, all non-Jews. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. That phrase captured Martin Luther's mind and heart as he read those words, The righteous shall live by faith. And so we continue, all these many centuries later, to acknowledge that that's the one necessary thing. That whatever else you are engaged in or involved in, in the living of your life, one thing you must have, one person you must know, one faith you must exercise by the grace of God. For salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We preach it. We sing about it. And I trust and pray that we live every day in the sure and certain knowledge that if my salvation has not been procured completely by Christ, I am utterly without hope and to be pitied among all others. If Christ did not fully pay the debt, if Christ is not the complete sacrifice for sin, leaving something undone that I would be expected to do, then heaven will be empty. And those dwelling places, that mansion that he's gone to prepare for us, will be an unoccupied structure. If any part of our salvation depends upon our efforts, we are utterly lost. But the good news, Christian, the good news to all of you, he didn't leave anything undone that needed to be done. So that faith in him alone is sufficient for our eternity. Only Christ, the eternal God-man, could pay that penalty. And Martin Luther and the other reformers, as believers all throughout the ages, have acknowledged that everything depends upon our Savior, the Lord Christ. And so devotion to him is that one thing that is necessary. Not a whole bunch of things that become distractions to us in the course of our lives that would keep us from him. But that one thing that would draw us closer to him as God works by his grace through his word and as we seek him in prayer. That every passing day we may come to rejoice and celebrate that everything depends upon Christ. And oh my. He having completed everything and never having done anything by half measures. 
has saved to the uttermost everyone who belongs to him. I can't think of any better news than that. There is no better one than I could proclaim to you. For in Christ alone we take our stand. In Christ alone we have all eternity to look forward to. And that is the very essence of the Reformation. It is the essence of the entirety of Scripture. Because there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. It is all about Jesus. And so, Jesus, I proclaim to you again. One thing necessary in a world with billions of options. There will always and forever be one who stands above them all. And blessed be his name. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, how glorious and wonderful it is to have here proclaimed through this word of yours again this one thing necessary. Grateful for your servants, Martha and Mary, by which you provide for us this truth. How could they have known when you stopped by their house that day and were welcomed in? that 2,000 years later we would be reading about that event and giving thanks for the lesson to be learned there. Thank you for them and for all others throughout the ages who have learned at your feet and in submission to you have provided for us footsteps in which we too may follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we ask you, humbly gracious Father, again, to revive and reform your church, that we may reclaim that thing that is necessary, even in the midst of other good things, grant that the gospel and that the Lord Jesus himself will truly be preeminent in our lives, in our worship, in our work, in our recreation, in all of life. May it be, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. In Christ alone, let's sing, church, to the glory of our Savior. Oh. 
call out your names in no particular order and ask you to please come up here and stand with me when I call out your name. Don't just come up and turn around and leave. But uh, in recognition for all that you do, I want to ask you to come up. First of all, there's Carol Blyke. And why don't we also say Gordon Blyke? I think they kind of go together. I don't possess the talent of which I speak, but lots of people in the world have the talent to be able to play instruments, and in particular the piano, and also have the additional talent of being able to sing. But not all of them thus gifted render that gift in a humble and with a servant's heart in the way that these two do. They don't simply utilize their talents among us. They are serving the Lord among us. And I can't think of anything better that I could say about them and to them than to say that. Thank you for serving our Lord together with us in this church. Stay put. There's more to come. You know, back uh, in the course of uh, the last couple of years, we have been blessed with uh, church administrative assistance. Uh, Jenny Foster was such a, a wonderful instrument of the Lord among us. And then after her, Sherry came and so capably manned our office for us and did wonderful things. And, and yet they moved on. And we had this hole, this vacuum that needed to be filled. And oh, how gracious and kind the Lord has been to us in providing for us, Jill Bosman. I thank the Lord for her every day. And Jill, thank you for your service to our Lord. And I'll ask your spouse to come up with you also. As we are grateful for King. And uh, I don't know that we'll get him up here, but I also, similarly, in acknowledging that uh, we have had spaces to fill behind people who have done wonderful work and ministry for us. One of those places that needed to be filled just in the last several months is the position of church administrator and facilities manager. And you know what? He was right here among us the whole time as the Lord provided in similar fashion in the past. Carl Ham has filled that role and is filling it. And we're grateful, Carl, who even now is in the sound booth because he pulls double, triple, and quadruple duty. We're grateful for the service that you render to our Lord. Carl, thank you for all that you do. When I came here, of course, there was already a wonderful staff already assembled and the opportunity to be able to serve alongside people who, you know, still know more than I do about how things work around here. I'm still having to ask the question three and a half years in now, what do we do about or what about? And one of the people who is so wonderfully capable of answering that question and leading me along by the hand on several occasions and doing so many other things extraordinarily well is Rachel Diller. Rachel is, of course, rendering ministry to the Lord among us, not only here on our 
property, this very campus, but extending out, doing other Bible studies and other places and doing that so wonderfully well. Rachel, thank you for serving the Lord here, and uh, thank you for helping raise me. (laughs) Others, of course, have uh, come to be a part of us, and uh, one of those being a very special individual about whom I could say a great deal, but someone else knows him better and can do it better than I can. I'd like for Andre and Angie Forge to please come up. And I've asked Pastor John to do that. Get him to say a few words. Well, uh, Andre and Angie have been friends of mine for 20 plus years, but something very um, unusual happened this fall. Um, Carrie and I watched a podcast, uh, excuse me, a television, I was listening to a podcast, and in it they mentioned this guy by the name of Bill Courtney, and Bill Courtney was uh, is from Memphis area, and uh, he has a podcast that is ranked Thinky, they say number ten in America um, by M, uh, not Amazon. What's that other company? Oh yeah, Apple. <laughs> and uh, and on that, the premise of this podcast is that this country is going to be changed not by the, the folks in Washington, but by an army of normal folks, just normal folks helping out in their communities respectfully. And then what he does is he brings people on who who help in their communities. Um, one of the people they, they brought on was a person who makes beds. He said, nobody in my community is going to sleep without a bed. And then somebody caught wind of that, and all of a sudden now there are 330 chapters of this, uh, of this organization called Sleep in Heavenly Peace. They make beds for people in their community. I said, Andre, why, why don't you just, I'd just like for you to listen to this and see how that affects you. And at the end of it, Andre said, that affects me. Uh, he said, that's my story. He said, when I was growing up, I didn't have a bed. When we came to the United States of America, it was me and Angie, and we had seven kids and relatives with us. We had one bed. And I wrote I wrote this guy, Bill Courtney, back in Memphis. I wrote him, and I said, I just want to let you know what your podcast is doing, uh, how, how it's effective uh, throughout the country. And, uh, he said, and I told him a little bit about but Andre, and he said, I want to meet him. And so we chatted for a while on the phone, then we talked to his producer, and then Bill Courtney wrote back one day and said, I want you and I want Andre on my podcast. And then, just last week, we got a word from the uh, producer who said, and we arranged a TV interview for you that morning. So Andre's going to be a star of of, of television. Angie has been right beside him. Matter of fact, she's probably done more to place the hope than Andre has. And um, but anyway, Andre has been a friend, and Angie they've been friends, and uh, we just appreciate you all. And and Andre now is uh, sort of the sexton of the church. he helps a lot of us out with just tasks that that we can never seem to get to and always seem to fall through the cracks. So 
We appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Pastor, where do you go? <laughs> Speaking up on me, eh? By the way, I hope all of you realize that he was talking about manufacturing beds. Because I was thinking, I make my bed. Yeah. <laughs> Andre is part of our pastoral team. And speaking of our pastoral team, we're, we, we like blurring the lines around here just a bit. Um, two individuals who have come to be a part of us and who are so much a part of us are Greg and Jean Poland. Now, we're treating them like staff today, but of course, he... Presbyterian's not listening. That's all, right, Carl? He is certainly one of our pastors around here, and he is moving toward ordination, which we hope will happen after the first of the year. But whatever happens there, we know the way in which God has so wonderfully gifted you and the way in which he has used you for a number of years in the church. And now we are benefiting from that blessing as he is using you among us. And so I want to thank the Lord for Greg and Gene Poland. And this one just because it's last in the alphabet. Hey, listen, I was a W all through school. We had another position that was in need of filling this year as uh, Tom and Lauren left us to head to California. We needed somebody to keep our books. And, you know, that's an important position because keeping the books means they also do payroll. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And Diane Young has come, and she is doing such a wonderful job serving the Lord for us in that role. And Diane and Gary, I want to ask you both to come up as we are so grateful for the two of you. Thank you. Thank you for coming Now, it's been a joy to get to know them since being pastor here and getting to know Gary. Every once in a while, we have to go over and perform a, an inspection at Dolly's just to make sure that the cheeseburgers are still being turned out all right. At salad, I'm sorry, at salad. With some protein. So, this is the staff that serves so wonderfully and capably here at Bay Presbyterian Church. And I cannot thank the Lord enough for all of you. The Lord has certainly assembled a wonderful team for us here. And we actually have something more to be handed out to you, and uh, I'm looking around the room to see who might help me with that. Is anybody available? There's Linda Story. And Suzanne, who is so wonderfully helping us here. So uh, how do you want to do this? Now, wait a minute. I, I gave our staff people cards. These, uh, these, these 
flowers are actually for spouses. <laughs> we do things right around here. God bless all of you. Thank you so much. All of you. Morris would say, that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> I see Ken Herbold there in the back, so Ken, I ask you to come up. By the way, we're trying to land around 1130, isn't that right, Linda? Yes. Okay. How are we doing so far? Okay. We'll eat when it's ready. Ken, come on. Thank you, Pastor. Work? There we go. Uh, I have the honor of uh, thanking our two pastors on behalf of the session. And uh, I'm an emotional guy, so if I break down, you'll understand why. I love these two gentlemen. I've known John for. You don't mind if I call you John instead of Pastor? Uh, I've known John for over 20 years. Doctor. That's right, Dr. John. Thank you, thank you. Doctor at Westminster uh, Theological Seminary. Honorary doctor. Very good. Uh, anyway, and I've known uh, Patrick for almost four years. Uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, being the first one in, in our church to meet Patrick. I'll give you a quick story on that, and then I'll, uh, very quickly, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, long story short, to make sure that we get to the barbecue on time, uh, Patrick's name came up at the search committee, and uh, so uh, they had done all the due diligence, made phone calls, and so forth, and said, you know, he's Sounds like he might be a good candidate. But we need somebody to go check him out, man to man, woman to woman. So anyway, I missed the meeting, and John said, Ken, you were selected. You and Carol. You and Carol were selected to go to go to Waynesville, uh, North Carolina. So anyway, very quickly, uh, Carol and I uh, certainly went up there. It was a little cool uh, up there at the time of the year that we were there. And uh, so we uh, contacted Patrick, met him in his study, and right before uh, church. And uh, he excused himself, and we walked into the sanctuary. And uh, as you would have, see in a, in a smaller town, of, you know, what, 10,000 people in uh, Winston? And uh, a really a quaint church. And uh, so we walk into the sanctuary, just trying to decide where we're going to sit. And all of a sudden, I feel a tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and she says, well, hi there. My name is uh, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. No Womack. I said, Mrs. Womack, hmm. Uh, I said, you must be Patrick's mother. And she said, yes, I am. And she said, well, what brings you to uh, <laughs> Waynesville? It's a 45-minute drive from Asheville to Waynesville, and then you're up in the mountains, and so to this day, I'm still asking repentance. 
I, I did not tell her the truth, obviously. I just said, well, we were, we were uh, at, in the area, and I asked a friend of mine, I asked a friend of mine where it would be a good Presbyterian church, PCA. And so he gave me uh, your name. And so, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, and John had given me a list of things to look for. And later in my comments, uh, I mean, it, it was a clone of John. Um, he said, now, look at the, uh, uh, for sure, the sermon. And then watch how he reacts to the, to the uh, congregation before church and after church. Watch the congregation, see how it's about the day, and lots of different things. The point being that uh, when we left the church, we felt uh, we met not only his mother, but his daughter, his sister, and certainly Kathy met her in the uh, nursery. She was working in the nursery that morning. So it was a wonderful experience. We got back and said, yes, we need to follow up. This man is the ticket. So anyway, long story short, again. Long story short, again, why uh, he uh, came down, I guess, shortly after that. And it wasn't too long after that that uh, he accepted the call, and for which we are very, very, very grateful. Regarding, uh, and I'll get back to you, <laughs> uh, as far as John, you know, um, I could talk about John for the next hour, and I only have two minutes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, John, uh, as, a, as a friend, and as, as the first thing that came to my mind when I was asked to do this, is Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the, the, uh, the uh, house, the builder's struggle in vain. And uh, it is clearly evident from that time, Dave Young's living room, where this starts, church started in, uh, what, 17 years, 18 years ago, uh, to today, and you see the, the crowds that we have in season, out of season. And why is that? In my opinion, it's, John, you are, you just have such love for your fellow man. You, this is what I do. You, uh, you are such a, a uh, not only loving and caring, and uh, you're a connector. You uh, are continually, uh, you know, you preach. We over what twenty last sixteen years, your preaching has been wonderful. We've learned much, and. Uh, but, you know, you can get them in the door, but you've got to keep them and grow them. And that's where you have just absolutely excelled. And um, I know Appreciation Sunday is supposed to be maybe for the current, but since you are no longer the senior pastor here, uh, I just uh, I couldn't help but think back over the years and all that you have meant to Carolyn and me and to this church. And your personality, your strengths, your love for the Lord is evident in the congregation. And the congregation begets congregation begets, and that's why we are the church that we are today, John. And uh, thank you so very, very much. And, and, 
lest we forget his real strength, Terry. Thank you. And uh, Patrick, I, uh, I, the reason I said uh, earlier a clunk is because some of the things that John asked me to observe were things that he does all the time, and you do all the time as well. And I feel like, you know, John uh, is, is the senior pastor, but I feel like, you know, I'm talking to you sometimes. I'm talking to him when I'm talking to you, because your love for Jesus Christ is so evident. And all you have to do is listen to one of your sermons, and you'll know exactly your position on Jesus Christ. And we are grateful for that. And, uh, you know, Patrick, uh, just earlier this year, was it celebrated your 30th anniversary of ordination. So he has uh, been around the block, and uh, we're appreciative of that. We thank both of you, gentlemen, and, and Kathy, of course. Uh, you are so sweet and so, so uh, much enjoy having you here, the both of you. And I realize that right now, for the both of you with aging parents, uh, it can be a challenge. But to know that uh, we are praying for both of your families and anything that you have to do, I'm sure I can speak for the congregation that we are 110% behind. So with that, I have a, an envelope as well. Uh, for each of you as a token of our appreciation for uh, what you do in your service. And, uh, you know, I, I'm honored to have the opportunity to do what I'm doing this very moment. And uh, I love for both of you, a little longer for John, but having worked with you, uh, Patrick, uh, you know, I, unfortunately, I won't be here to celebrate 10 years of your being here, but I'll probably be upstairs looking down. where we were asked to help out with prospective church planters. And the guy who was directing the conference said this. He said, um, of churches that have uh, been planted by the founding pastor and then transferred to the next pastor, he said, uh, we've, we've surveyed, informally surveyed 50 churches uh, how many of those churches do you think succeeded in the transition from the founding pastor to the next pastor? The answer is zero out of the 50. Zero out of Now you can define failure in any number of ways, but, but I think that we found in Patrick the winning team.
because of your willingness to be flexible and accept his leadership. And and I thank the staff too because they they're just the best. We got the best and the best congregation. So that's great. And now the best senior pastor. And we thank the Lord the way in which you and Carrie got this thing started and um, grateful for the good work that the Lord is continuing to do. It's all Him. And you know, I'm so good at what I do that I've left out somebody this morning and I was afraid that I would do that and I have. Um, while we are so exceedingly grateful for Carl Hand, his wife Becky is every day as Not enough flowers in all of Southwest Florida to represent all the good work that you and all of you do here on behalf of our Lord. But thank you, and thank you all. One thing I I just opened up the card that you all presented to us and wanted to thank you for the new Gulfstream Five you got me. <laughs> No, I can never top that. <laughs> All right. Are we ready? Anybody? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pray and give thanks for the food so that if it is ready, or when it's ready, we can eat it. I think that's a good plan. Let's all stand together and pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, you are so gracious and kind, and we thank you for food that you provided here. Thank you for the time of worship that we've had, and now for the fellowship that you are blessing us to be able to take part in. Thank you for all who have worked to make it possible. So, Lord, please accept our thanks for the food and for the fellowship and for all of the love that you bestow upon us so richly, directly through your Son and through one another. And all this we pray and ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.